Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. All right, guys, we're back after a one-week hiatus here on the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast brought to you, presented by Relentless Boats. And due to some scheduling and other issues we missed last week, y'all have to forgive us, but we're back with um, a, a topic that we hear from people a lot around Louisiana Bowhunter. Um, it, it's a, a question, or, or questions, uh, plural, that get asked around the topic of of bow hunting out of ground blinds and that's obviously something that you see very prominently uh, around the country in different places and maybe not as often used in in the south where we have a lot of hardwoods and piney woods and it's, it tends to be seen more frequently in open country but there are guys out there that do utilize ground blinds not just as a necessity for a certain area but as a tactic and uh, we have Seth DeVille from Dental Springs, Louisiana. He is uh, someone that we've identified who who is one of those people that uses ground blinds as um, a tactic that he actually employs and not just something that he does out of necessity for for a, a specific location. So Seth's going to join us today on the podcast to talk about that. Kyler, how much experience do you have with ground blinds? Oh, absolutely zero. I've, I, the, the, the only time I've ever shot a bow out of a ground blind is uh, all three times I've set them up at the, at the Louisiana Bowhunter 3D Challenge. <laughs> that, that's it. Yes. I've never hunted out of one ever. So, so I, I'm, I'm super excited about learning about this. Yeah, so I've hunted out of them, and, but every, all of my experience hunting out of a ground blind was just more of a product of uh, necessity. You know, I was hunting in a place where that's where someone 
that's how they had the spot set up that I was hunting or I hunted a spot and I set up a ground blind because it was the only thing I could do to hunt that spot and it, it was just the right thing to do and so I've got some experience with it but I will say that I'm very interested to hear from Seth more along the lines of his tactical approach to it how it's used as something that uh, he sees as a benefit to his style of hunting because that's something that I've never really dove off into so um, that's going to be interesting and before we bring Seth on we're going to remind you one more time about Scree Gear and uh, Scree is S-K-R-E ScreeGear.com performance based layering system and uh, direct to consumer online business model cuts the cost and still provides the same quality that you see from other performance brands and as we get into november um, really encourage you to check out the late season whitetail bundle Um, with that bundle you get the merino base layers that are so important to performance gear but also the ptarmigan jacket which is the goose down jacket that kyler raves about all the time Mm -hmm. is in there and then also the late season pants they call the kodiak pants and that's your basic um teflon coated outer shell style pants but this has a uh a micro fleece liner for colder temps so check out the late season bundle i can tell you without a doubt that that late season bundle um with the exception of some sort of rain gear for heavy wind or hard rain it is the only thing you would ever need for cold temperatures in in the south in louisiana so check them out at screegear.com they're running sales all the time and uh just uh, go check them out on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and all that. Follow along. Find out what they're doing. It's a great company. They offer a great product, and we appreciate their support here on the podcast. So without further ado, Kyler, introduce our guest. Hey, Seth. Uh, I appreciate you joining us tonight, man. I'm glad we, we were able to connect this week, buddy. Hey, guys. How's it going this evening? I'm glad y'all brought me on, man. I'm excited for it. Well, first first question I have for you. So I know we, we, we tried to set this up last week, and we had a time and intentions to do it. But and I haven't talked to you since this. Did you you shot a deer the night that we were supposed to record? Right. I did, man. It was we were texting, and we were setting it up, and I was hoping to you know get out the blind and get it going and. Uh, Man, I ended up shooting one that evening. Um, literally, as I was texting you, I look up, and I got a five-and-a-half-year-old deer that I've been chasing. He's standing at 16 <laughs> yards, and I literally set down my phone to pick up my bow and kill him. And, you know, I had to wait on my dad to get there. We don't tra- – you know, if we're hunting together, I wait on him, or he waits on me, and we do our tracking together, something we've always done, and it just didn't work out. But I did recover the buck, and, man, it was just – it was an awesome evening. Killed a nice one. That's awesome, man. Where where were you? I was at some uh, new ground I had just leased in Texas, um, Paint Rock, Texas, out west. Um, got the place kind of late, about two months ago. Got in there, rushed some spots, all ground blinds. Um, got them brushed. And, uh, man, just started looking for sign and, and found some promising-looking areas and got some blinds set up, some cameras, and, me and my brother-in-law made a little quick trip, my dad, and got up there, and sure enough, first afternoon, man, I had one down. Very cool. Oh, well, you know, I'll allow it. That's a pretty good reason to miss a podcast is shooting a big five-and-a-half-year-old <laughs> buck, so that's, uh, that's a hell. We, I've, I've, had some, I've had some pretty crappy rescheduled excuses. That's, that's, uh, that's the best one so far <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as far as needing to reschedule. 
So um, yeah, no, I'm that's glad awesome. we're here, man. Absolutely. So um, you know, I like I said earlier, I, I've never hunted out of a ground blind. I've only set them up for the for the tournaments for kind of you know fun um, fun shots on the on the range and stuff that we have uh, a shoot every March. And um, you know, a couple of things that I'd like to cover with y'all with you tonight is um, number one, what kind of ground blind are you hunting out of? You know, why did you pick that one versus other ones that are on the market? Um, and uh, are you setting them up? Uh, you know, before the hunt, obviously. Well, obviously before the hunt, are you setting it up the day of the hunt? Or are you getting them out there so the deer become acclimated to them? Things like that. So tell us about your sets that you have right now. Okay, so what I like to do is, depending on, you know, if I'm hunting, if I'm hunting private ground, something that's, you know, more permanent, um, one of the biggest factors that I try to get in there and do it as early as possible, um, you know, if, if it's going to be, you know, on a feeder or a food plot or something, something that I'm only solely going to be hunting permanently, I know, you know, it's not going to be messed with or whatever, I try to get in there early, um, what I'd like to do is is find out or figure out what the predominant wind is, of course, and I'm setting my blind for that. Um, naturally, I won't typically get to hunt it every single wind unless I have a way to get in and out um, and are set two spots. My biggest thing is what I try to do is is I'm trying to make an easy entry and exit without disturbing my deer, uh, you know, mm-hmm. using, using apps, using overhead maps trying to figure out about where my deer are bedding and finding a way in and out that does not disturb them. And actually more than one way in and out, because, you know, if your bedding area is to the south of how you're coming in and you're coming in with a north wind blowing, you're pushing all your sin in or vice versa. So I'm just trying to find multiple entries and exits that do not disturb my deer and try to set maybe a north stand, a, a south blind, whatever, I'm trying to get a couple sets, but, if it's something permanent and I'm hunting feed or I'm hunting, like I said, food plots or whatever it may be, I'm trying to find two spots where I can hunt, you know, predominant, predominant winds and, and have that easy entry exit. And, um, I believe in brushing, man, brushing them in is, is everything. And that's what I tell people either brush them in to the max completely, just basically invisible, have them you know when i'm setting a blind i don't worry about my shooting hole when i'm setting that blind at first i brush that blind in i'm trying to find something that's already you know a, a bigger clump of you know whether it's power meadows whether it's a clump of trees close together something you can place that blind in for a three-dimensional look and then after it's brushed you come and get inside of it with hand snips or limb loppers or whatever it be and cut your shooting hole but brushing in heavily and just and finding that entry and exit, um, like I said, you don't want to bust them deer coming in and out of that spot. That's that is key. Um, you don't want them to know when you're there, when you're entering, when you're coming out. Um, if it's more of a public type setup or an ambush setup, I'm just getting in there and and brushes everything because that's something that they're typically not going to see. If you just go in the woods and pop it up, I mean, they're gonna they're going to discard it. They're not coming near it. Um, sure. So brushing tactics are something that is very crucial. Um, over the years I've learned, especially in Texas, um, I mean, just covering that blind and setting it up in a way 
you don't want to set it up in the wide open and then just throw a bunch of limbs around it because it's just a big blob. I like to get my blind against something. Um, if there's a tree with a low-lying limb, I'm tucking my blind there. I'm coming off of that. I'm using that, what's already around me, to break that blind up and giving that three, three-dimensional three look. Um, and, you know, just if you're hunting trails, don't set up on the trail. Set up off the trail a little bit um, and don't get them directly coming towards you. That's the thing. A lot of people, when they're sitting in a blind versus a tree, they feel that they can move a lot. Well, that's partly true. I mean, you're covered, but if you're setting up to where the deer coming towards you and you're in there moving or playing with your phone or whatever, scratching your face, and the deer is coming at you, he's going to catch that movement. Um, mm-hmm. Getting off of that trail, angling away from him. And also that allows you to set up for more of a, a broadside type of shot rather than them coming in head on. And you might have to take a, a frontal shot or a quarter and two shot, which is most likely going to end up in a, in a, you know, less than perfect situation. Sure. Well, do you, do you have uh, do you have the same ground blind for all your sets or do you have multiple different types? Well, this is what I like to do. Of course, I'm not endorsed by any ground blind company or anything like that, but I, I prefer ground blinds that do not use zippers or Velcro. Okay. Um, there's a new blind made by Maristep that actually has almost what I would call like a window weight that's made inside of it that keeps the flap just because if you get in a situation to where just entering your blind, a zipper is loud. I mean, and I, and it might be overkill, but I'm very, very OCD about that being as quiet as possible. I prefer the blinds that do not have the zippers or the Velcro. I like the blinds that have the snaps or like I said, there's a Maristep blind that has like a, it's a weight that's in the flap that holds it down versus when you close it up, you don't have to zip it or Velcro it. And when you get in, you don't have to Velcro it, pull the Velcro or zip it to get your shooting hole. So gotcha. that's what I'm looking for. Less zippers, less Velcro. I've had better luck with that. Um, when um, when you're picking out a blind, are you picking them out for um, are you trying to get like a, two, a real big one, like a two man or a three man blind, or are you just getting one that just holds you? Um, what do you what suggest? I pref- what I prefer to do is I like I get a two man blind because obviously it's a little smaller. A three-man blind, something that's going to be a little taller, a little wider, just more to brush. Um, and it's just, it's just bigger. It's, it's more, it's just harder to, to hide. Um, two-man blind, plenty big enough to draw, plenty big enough for your gear. I've filmed out of them. Um, I've had people with my kids with me and filming gear. Plenty of room. Um, but you do want to make sure that you get a blind that. When you're in a blind, you want to sit back in that blind. You don't want to be you don't want to be up in the window. You want to be as back as possible, sitting back, but you also want to be able to draw to where that back elbow does not hit that blind when you draw. I've had guys come back to camp and tell me horror stories. You know, have the buck of their dreams or their target, their number one hit list buck, and he's standing there. They draw the bow. They're in a one-man blind. The cam hits the top. This is what typically happens. The cam will hit the top. They don't know it. Their elbow hits the back. They release the arrow. The cam slaps the top of the blind. They miss the deer. Um, That's something you really want to avoid. Um, I say a two-man blind is what I buy. That's what I go with. 
Um, it's big enough to have a, you know, if you want to bring your friend, a wife, kid, but it's also big enough to where you can draw comfortably. Your hand's not going to hit the top. Your elbow's not going to hit when you draw. You should be good. That's cool. Okay. So, um, as far as camouflage goes, are you, or, or sorry, what you're wearing, are you mm-hmm. wearing solid black like I see a lot of people wearing? Or you, does, do you think that matters? Are you wearing regular camo? Tell us what I, you're dressing like. I am a... I am all about dark camo and a blind. Um, I, me, preferably, I have all the, the great camo for the tree stand sits and blending in. But when I'm hunting my ground blinds, I prefer to go black. I, I mean, I when you're in that blind and you're sitting in there and you have the windows behind you shut and that door is closed, I have somebody with me normally when I'm setting up and I get in. I bring my I bring something dark with me when I set up. I want to get in that blind, and I want somebody out there at 20 yards, 30 yards, whatever it may be, and I want them to look in there, and I don't want them to see me. Um, I'm blacked out. That's me. It don't have to be like I told my, my wife when she first got started. She's like, what should I get? I said, go to Walmart and find the darkest, most comfortable stuff you can buy and buy it. It doesn't have to be nothing fancy, but I believe – the darker the camo or darker the clothes, the better off you are in a ground blind. Absolutely. Gotcha. All right. I, uh, I, I like like I said, I've never even see, I've seen them in the woods. I see them on public land sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I've I've got to admit, I have yet to see one in the wild that I was like impressed by. If that makes sense, you know, I've, oh. I've seen some, I've seen some deer stands in the woods where I'm like, hell yeah, man. Good for you. Like, you, right. you, this, this is your spot. You got this one under control. I uh, almost like there's, there's two types of deer stands. There's people that when I find a deer stand, I'm like, oh man, this spot's ruined. And then there's other deer stands where I'm like, Hey, this guy, there's something here, you know? And I almost feel like I'm, I almost feel like I'm, I'm messing up somebody else's strategy when I'm in that type of that type of stand where there's somebody you yeah. can tell that person knows what they're doing. But when right. I find ground, ground blinds on public land, my first thought is, Oh great. This place is blown out. You know, yep. like th- th- this is so, this might as well be a giant Rubik's cube on the ground yep. because it stand out in the middle of this funnel. Mm-hmm. It's not against anything. It just looks like a big right. camouflage shaped cube. Uh, man, I've seen it. I've seen it over and over and over again. A lot of people think they buy a ground blind, they go in the woods, and they just pop it up, pop it up, stake it out, put a chair in it, and that's it. Just they because treat it like an invisibility cloak, I, yeah. I guess would be a good way to think of it. They, it, it's, it has a camouflage. I mean, it's camo. That does not mean that it's, it's invisible. That does not mean that the deer aren't going to see it from a mile away. Absolutely not. When if if you come across one of my ground blind sets and you see it and you actually know it's there, I failed. I failed at, at setting my ground yeah, blind yeah. up. I've sure. had guys go into my spots or not go to my come with me to my spots, literally, and have to ask me, "Man, where's your blind? Where is your blind?" I'm like, "Just look around. <laughs> You'll find it. They can't find it. If if you can see my blind." I, I didn't set it up right. My blinds, you won't. You, when I get done setting a blind up, it might take me longer. I might be there longer than the guy that'll just pop them out. But 
you're not going to find my blind. I'm going to brush that blind in. I'm setting it up against something, like I said before, that is already going to have that texture to it, that, that three-dimensional look. I'm trying to get it in there. I want the brush on the front of my blind to be three and four foot deep from where my arrow oh, wow, leaves okay. be. I'm, it's so it's th- it's three four dimensional because what I want to do, like I said, I'm gonna find a spot. You know, I've set up in public land to where thickets. I mean, bright getting cut up to do it, and you know, I mean, you know, we all do some crazy things to kill a deer, but I'm gonna get this blind in somewhere where it was already thick or already clumpy looking or some area to where when I get it in there and I might have to cut a few trees, I might have to cut a few limbs, whatever. I'm going to get it tucked away and then I'm, the work's going to start. But if you go in my spot and you find my ground blind, I didn't, I didn't brush it in good enough. That's just plain and simple. That's how I set hmm. up. So when, when you're, when you're brushing it in, are you, um, are you bring like let, let's say let's say well not hypothetically but let's say you could drive to your hunting spot in your truck or a four wheeler, are you um, are you cutting brush from that spot and and uh, like cutting down things that were in that hole if you will or in that opening and brushing it in or are you bringing brush with you so that you kind of I don't want to say leave it undisturbed but you're not cutting down what the deer are used to seeing in that area. Right. That's a good question. If I can drive to my spot or get a four-wheeler, a UTV, something in there, I'm not going to take brush from the area I'm brushing, where my blinds mm-hmm. brushed in. I'm going to try to bring in. I know what the habitat looks like. I know what's around me. I'm going to use brush from somewhere else. I'm going to cut, fill the back of my Ranger up, my four-wheeler, strap it to the rack, whatever, my truck, whatever. But, no, I typically I try to refrain from cutting, you know, the deer, they're 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 coming through there all the time. They know what's normal, what's not normal. Yeah, absolutely. If you, yes. If you go to cutting, if you go to cutting all the brush around the area you're trying to hunt the, the deer in, they're gonna notice that stuff. Something's missing when they come through. Um, yep. And it could be the littlest thing. I've seen it with my own two eyes. I mean, they they pick up on stuff like that. I would would rather if if it's possible to bring my brush in with me. If it's not. Just like uh, I go do it, do do it yourself hunts all the time. Literally, you bring everything with you. They give you a pasture. Heart of Texas bow hunts a great, a yeah. great example. Yep. You go there, Mr. Kevin tells you, "Hey, this is where you're hunting. Here's a map. Get after it." Well, in some of those cases, I don't have the, you know, the opportunity to bring my truck into my hunting spot. So I just walk a little bit. I mean, I'll I'll you know find my area leave everything there and it might take me a little longer but i try to try not to cut up the area i'm hunting too much just because i want to keep it number one scent you go around cutting every tree around where your deer are coming through you're leaving scent all over that area yep i'm absolutely everywhere absolutely um, i try to i try to stay away from from my hunting area and, and bring my brush with me and if i can't i get out and walk a little bit and it just takes a little longer and I, you know, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I asked you, um, I, I'm asking you all these questions about brush, and you know, I want to talk talk about scent control in a few minutes. Is, um, you know, ground ground blind hunting for me? I, I'll be honest. I've always viewed it um, as uh, as a disturbance to the area for my hunting style because I I'm not hunting a food source. 
I'm not going to utilize that method on hunt on public ground because we have trees. We can get 20 feet in the air. Um, right. Now, granted, I can think of five or six places where a ground blind or just uh, some sort of ground set doesn't have to be a blind, but hunting from the ground would be a great approach for that specific right. area. But I, I have two major rules that um, I always follow. And the first one is that I, like you never, ever walk where you want to kill a deer. I, th- uh, that's a rule that I've, I've lived by for the last few years, and my, my success has gone up majorly on at least encounters, maybe not kills, but right. – um, when I so what I what I'm saying just to be clear is, if you find your tree that you want to hunt in, you don't need to go walk another 20 yards past it. If you've decided to hunt an area, go to your tree, climb it, and don't go any further because boot scent and ground scent is um is is real. It doesn't matter what kind of boots you wear, um, leather boots, rubber boots, neoprene boots. It doesn't matter you're leaving scent on the ground and I've seen does and bucks hit my ground scent and stop like, like they hit a wall and turn around and leave. So that's rule number one. And rule number two is I never cut anything that a deer could smell or would see that it's missing. And, um, that, that even includes trimming limbs in the tree because, um, I will trim them in the tree, but I don't drop the limbs to the ground. I drop them. I'll hang them in another limb or I'll put them behind me to break up my silhouette. But, you know, the oils on your hand, I kind of, I kind of, I think of it like axle grease in a sense where, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't think, you don't think it matters. You don't think they can smell that, but they, they know they like, I've seen, Oh my God! They know. They, look, a deer is is a master at staying alive and being aware of its environment. And so, when I think about cutting brush for a ground blind, especially on a public land, like you said, a um, a, um, a uh, what was the word you look look you said earlier? Um, a, uh, it was a ambush ambush set, yep. right? Um, I I honestly. You know, if I was going to hunt public land and hunt off the ground, I think I would try and put a, a, like a tree or something behind me and, and hunt in a little thicket or hunt in a briar patch on, in a chair, because I I don't know I don't know if if a ground blind would really be for me if I couldn't brush it in as well and as early as you're able to for you to have success in it. Right. You know. Um, and then, and then also, the, the uh, yeah, I was talking about don't step foot where you want to kill a deer. It's impossible to brush in a ground blind and not step back and admire it. I would imagine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're, pro- you're probably going to step back ten or fifteen yards to see how it looks. And I think you know, depending on how tight of an area you're hunting, that put you into your hunting area. You know, right, right. Um, and I tell you another thing, I, and, and it goes, you know, kind of about what you're talking about. A lot of people won't do this it's something i've been doing a long time and i felt like it's helped tremendously if you know there's a rain coming and you can get in there and i don't mind it but if you can go set up in that rain and i'm not talking about just a little mist drizzle rain i'm talking about a rain that right there alone helps tremendously rain the rain washes that scent down Mm -hmm. majorly 
um, there's been times when I've gone out and I'm, I know a storm's coming and I might, you know, try to time it to where I can get in there, do what I got to do, get out, rain comes, that sense gone. Not set, and I'm not like I said, I'm not talking about a, you know, a little drizzle, a mist and rain that, that, that won't cut it. But I'm talking about if you can get in there and you know you, where you need to be and you've kind of seen it, scouted it, and you can get in there with what you're, what you're needing to, to set up and get it in there and then let that downpour come afterwards. I've felt I've gone the next day, man, and have deer 15, 20 yards in front of me and never look my way. But like I said, not a drizzle, not a little, you know, a little sprinkle. I'm talking about a, a downpour. And I've had a great success with using that tactic alone just because, like I said, you get in there, all that grease, all the boots in, everything after a pour, an hour or two pour, that stuff's washed away. Um, and, you know, I've even heard guys do the same thing with tree stand sets, you know, go yeah. set it for yeah. a good rain. Just, but scent, you know, scent controls everything. Um, and, and what I try to do is I'm a big, I hunt off a of wind. I'm a big believer, man, just getting that wind, using those maps, seeing seeing where those bedding areas are and setting up for that wind um, and and trying to, trying to fool them, man. It's hard, you know, it's hard to fool a deer's nose, but I've used over the time, I've, I've done it. I've killed a lot of big deer out of ground blinds, mature deer, and just, you know, I've done got to where now I'm using more of a set of a perfect wind for me. I'm using a a marginal type win just because he you know just like y'all know they're gonna circle they're gonna come around they're gonna get the wind in their face that's what they do but if you can catch a a marginal type win and and this is something me and dad's been doing now for probably five or six years we've we've gotten away from well let's make the wind perfect for us because the deer always ends behind us he always ends up behind us but catching them on a marginal type win to where it's okay for him but it's okay for me I feel like I've had a lot of success of getting that deer in front of me that yeah. way. So you, so you think as he as he's circling, he's also kind of walking into a kill zone? Is that what he's, you, he's, he's dead. About? He's dead. He's dead before he gets you. But it's yeah. it's a small it's a small window. That's exactly right. That's the that's the the goal. Well, it's that's a it's a, I mean the 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 general idea that you're bringing up is is an interesting one. Whether we're talking about ground blinds or tree stands or however you're set up I, I can tell you that i experienced this recently um on my hunt in kansas uh the first sat the the first hunt that we made was uh that that first afternoon we were hunting a draw and the bedding area was north of us and the deer typically filter from uh an old pond in a cedar thicket from the north and they filter down through the draw north to south Right. Well, um, in this case, the blow the wind was blowing northeast, so it was you know it was good for the direction of the deer. Once it got past us, it kind of cut us off down there. But that theoretically was going to be okay because right. you know the deer are coming from the north and they're going to have to cross my face before they cross my wind. Well, yep. what ends up happening is almost every deer we saw that afternoon took a different path into that draw where they were catching that crosswind before they got down in there in that more vulnerable position and going through there to their on their feeding route so it, it is that's a very interesting thing that that you're mentioning and and because i don't really know the formula for this i don't, I don't know how you 
how you figure this out and how you adjust for or compensate for the simple fact that when you hunt a marginal wind, it's marginal because, I mean, the wind is what it is. But, right. you know, I guess to your point, Kyler, you know, what I would say to your point in my mind, because I've thought about this from that hunt a couple of weeks ago, and I've thought about this before. How do you how do you compensate for this? Because it's not so much about getting the deer into a kill zone. A lot of times it has a lot to do with the fact that you ever even know the deer is there because they're coming from a direction you're not expecting and they're leaving before you ever know they're there because you think everything is great. I'm hunting this spot. My wind is perfect and I'm not seeing any deer. What you don't realize is the deer have changed everything they're doing on that wind and they're smelling you before you ever even know they're there because you think, well, everything is set up for this spot on this wind and what you don't realize is if you're hunting a feed area specifically, very, very specifically, if you're hunting a, 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 a bait pile or a food plot, you know, just because the deer normally enter that from the north doesn't mean they're going to do it on a north wind. Mm-hmm. And you think, I need to hunt this from a north wind. Well, maybe those yearling does and those young bucks, maybe they just pile in there on their normal trail. But if you're if you're out there trying to kill a big doe or a mature buck or a smarter deer, that deer's not stupid. They don't enter a bait pile upwind. Absolutely. You know? So, uh, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that as a tactic even with your ground blind setups, because that was one of the things that I was thinking as you talked about, you know, expanding on on how you go about doing this. There's obviously a drastic difference between, you know, when we talk about thermals and we talk about wind direction and all that, I, I would imagine that you, you're experiencing a, a, a lot of different variables to take into account when you're on the ground as opposed to what the wind's doing for someone who's 20 foot up in a tree absolutely sure absolutely i've seen it man i've seen it time and time again like you said you, you got a feeder you got a bait pile or you're hunting you know you're chipping corn at you know in the midwest and you're tucked back in there it it them deer like you said they're they're they change everything about what they do to adjust for that for 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 that feed for where they're coming in to eat and that's exactly why like you said you're sitting there and to you, you feel the wind coming in your face. You feel it blowing straight into that blind. But also, sitting out there in front of you at 20 yards is what you're expecting that deer to come to. He's done changed it all up. He's coming in with it in his favor. So, I like to, if I can find out where he's coming from, where he's sleeping, and get that cross wind, I just feel like it puts the odds a little better in my in my favor because when he gets up and he decides he's going to make a move. He can keep it, you know, somewhat in his advantage, but not, like I said, I, it, it's working for both of us. It's just, it's just if you can, like you said, you're trying to get him to, in that in that killable area, in that kill zone. But like you said, sometimes they'll get back there and you don't even know they were there. But yeah. you think you think all the conditions were perfect. I don't know why I didn't see a deer today. I don't know. I don't know, man. He's been on camera every day, and you know, now all of a sudden I'm hunting. Well, it's because he's unchanged his route, and he's catching you, and you don't know that he's catching you. But I feel like, you know, hunting hunting a win that's decent for the deer, decent for you, I've had better luck that way than just sitting there and only going in with it blowing in my nose because he's going to adapt to that. That's how they survive, like you said. Absolutely. They, they live off of that nose. So. Well, there's so many things that we talk about on this podcast that, you know, they're experience-based opinions, and sometimes they're just straight-up opinions and stuff like that 
But one thing yeah. I can tell you without a doubt that I feel like I'm telling you factual, <laughs> I'm not giving you an opinion. If you're hunting for an, a, a mature deer of any kind, doe, buck, whatever, and if you don't realize and believe that when they get on their feet, they're using that nose, you're missing a big part of the equation. They're not, they're not going to a man-made food source. They're not going to a natural food source willy-nilly. They're just not, they're not doing that. They, they, they're approaching an area and they're assessing everything about that area as they, as they commit to it. And if you can find a way, like you said, to marginalize that wind where he can smell where he's trying to go and not smell you at the same time, you're going to see more deer. You're going to see more older deer. And that that's without a doubt. And I'll, I'll add to that one other thing. When you go to start hunting the rut, and, and I, I feel like I'm probably saying something that most experienced deer hunters know, but if, if you're hunting the rut, if you want to kill big deer that are getting on their feet and are cruising around looking for does, don't hunt your typical travel routes. Don't hunt the well-used trails where all the does walk, the food sources where all the does go to. Don't find that downwind alternate path that that deer can walk and detect and smell and he is he's not he's not walking around with his eyes he might walk out and look out in a field but he approached that field with his nose absolutely and and so same thing goes for your ground blind setups and when you're talking about those ambush you know that deer is going to move in and out of areas for lots of different reasons whether it be um rutting activity or whether it be feeding activity he's going to move in and around these areas based off of how he can protect himself and he can know what's in front of him before he lays eyes on it and that i think that just that general concept um i would imagine it is it is enhanced for the ground blind hunter because of the fact that i I, i'm guessing here you you've learned to be as meticulous about it as you are because you're fighting the wind even more so because you don't have a height advantage you don't have a thermal advantage you're ground level right that's right that's right and and you know I do want to add a couple things to when you're hunting in a ground blind for the, as far as the scent controlment. Um, when I'm hunting my blinds, I'm not going to sit, I'm going to brush them in, like I said, but I'm going to keep it as concealed and closed up as possible. Don't get me wrong. I want to see, because you don't want to be sitting in there and all of a sudden the deer's, he's there and he's gone. But also what I've learned is that when you got these things closed up, and for me, I can do, I can sit back in this ground and I, I can wait, I can wait and be, but a lot of guys are peeking. A lot of guys are leaning forward, peeking out, wanting to see, reaching as in a tree stand, you're sitting there and you, you can see everything around you and it's beautiful and it's great. But what I've learned about this ground blind situation is when I set one up and, and this may be a, sub, a subject y'all want to cover in a little bit, but I found some ways that you can absolutely destroy not destroy but you can you can cover scent so well in a ground blind to me with how you set it up as far as you know i covered this i I posted a a comment and i think kyler had seen it of how how i rake my ground how when i'm setting up my ground blind how i clear out the floor how i keep that natural earth right there you know i'm constantly stirring that floor up stirring that soil up I can smell it. It's so strong in the ground blind. That's all I can smell my entire hunt. But I do that for a reason. You know, a lot of guys will pop their blinds up, brush them in, and then their feet are sitting on grass or sitting on pine straw or sticks or whatever it may be. But I'm bringing 
these tools with me, you know, these, these, these hand rakes and these loppers and everything else. And when I get done setting my blind, what's underneath me is straight, fresh soil, almost as if you took a tiller. Hmm. And when you're yeah. sitting in that blind and you're on that soil and you've raked and you've done raked every blade of grass out from under you and every bit of pine straw and you're sitting on fresh tilled up soil, well, you can about imagine what you're going to smell inside that concealed area. Just straight. I mean, Natural it's literally scent. so strong, man. It's it's a cover scent like no other. And that's one of the that's the one thing that I really really believe in, and it's helped me be successful. It's keeping that ground clear, keeping it quiet, and and having it tilled up, chopped up, and soft to where you can always churn that soil around, and it just keeps that strong, strong scent. And it's an amazing cover scent. It really is. Do you do you ever uh, use certain types of brush like cedar, and uh, I don't know what it's actually called, but we call I it do. goat weed, and so because it has a strong smell. Yes, sir, I do. If if I'm in an area that has cedar cedar trees anywhere absolutely use them they're strong you you break you know the smallest twig off of a cedar branch you smell it um same thing with with a, with a green pine you take that pine limb you break it you're going to smell that pine i take them if i got them in the area i want to use it to brush but I also what i like to do is is i tell people bring a piece in there with you take a piece of cedar as you're walking in or not near your hunting spot as you're walking snip a piece off take it in there with you if you take that cedar and you're rubbing it you can smell it the entire time and if you have your blind if you if you've collected brush to go brush your blind with and you've hauled it in or whatever drug it in and it's cedar or green pine tree saplings whatever it may be i can smell it i can smell it from the outside so i know if i can smell it you can about imagine what it smells like to the deer and that's something that they smell every day um but i definitely utilize utilize those those certain bushes or trees that have those strong scents absolutely cool yeah that i've i i i mentioned the 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 goat weed i, I call it goat weed it's the mm-hmm. it's the, that weed that grows up in cow pastures um when they when they keep the cows out for a while and it, it's kind of a a gritty type of of uh, of grass as i say grass it's more more of a waist high crp kind of stuff but if you can find that stuff when you're walking in if you take it and break it up in your hands it has a strong musty smell i mean it's not a bad smell it's just a strong smell and i'll especially when i'm hunting in the midwest because you find it on the edge of fields and stuff a whole lot it's very accessible there i'm constantly as i'm walking into my set i'm picking that stuff and rubbing it on my clothes you know rubbing it all over me and and when i get in the tree for a while i can smell it i mean it smells like i've rolled all around in it so it's yep. a very it's, it's a great natural cover scent yeah that works as yes sir go, go ahead I, I cut you off on, on no, i was i was this. just i was agreeing with what he was saying it it really does it, it works as a cover scent like i said going back you know cedars cedars are strong if you hunt an area with cedar don't be afraid to grab a hold of one break it up crumble it yeah. up rub it against you bring it with you whatever you gotta do and it, it really works you know I, I remember i remember as a kid um my dad and i used to always this is back when you could rent movies you know um mm-hmm. at the movie store and, and i grew up in a small town in mississippi and our movie store had a hunting section you know and every year when all the new movies come out we would go rent them all uh in the summer and leading into deer season and anyway 
long story short, I remember an episode of, of one of Night and Hale's deer hunting videos. And they had a whole segment where they were showing some different t- uh, tactics and techniques about setting up deer stands. And they were hunting in Kentucky where they had a lot of cedar mixed in their hardwood. And they had a whole segment where they talked about setting up stands in cedar trees for this very reason. And I'll remember that forever. It's just one of those things I can remember sitting yep. in the living room watching that, that episode with my yep. dad. Yeah, well, it, it um, definitely works. Do, so the um, the deer you're hunting in Texas, mm-hmm. um, as far as behavior and maybe um, alertness, are, are they uh, are they do they act different than Louisiana deer? I'm gonna tell you, man. Everybody in Texas hunts just about like here. There's a feeder. There's a there's a protein. There's something. Every every form, every piece of land, track, the deer knows they know what's going on. They are spooky. You know, a lot of guys are like, well, man, you hunt in Texas a lot. You know, you kill a lot of deer, blah blah. blah. I do, but let me tell you something. If you don't have your your T's crossed and your eyes dotted, they're gonna get you, man. They are finicky, jumpy deer. You know, they come out and they're they're just about like here. You know, people say deer in Louisiana, they're looking in the trees. Well, the deer in Texas, when they see a ground blind, a feeder, or they see a tower blind, like a lot of them guys use out there, they're mm-hmm. looking at them. Just, it's the same as, you know, these deer around here, you know, if they're pressured and they are pressured. They, what I do like about them, though, is, well, I say like about them, what I like about our advantage when we're hunting them, they don't have access to all the food, natural food source like our deer have. Um, sure. You know, it's cact- where I'm at, in the, I'm out there in the hill country. Man, it's cactus and rocks. That's what it is. Um, you know, there's a few things that, you know, little mesquite beans certain times of the year. But they're not just, you don't you don't just go out there and jump in a, in a, in a blind and shoot one every hunt. But they there's just more of them. But you have to have your, you know, you have to have your stuff together for sure. So I wonder, I wonder, you know, as it pertains strictly to ground blinds. So, mm-hmm. you know, when we look at the typical landscape across uh, much of the south and, and most of Louisiana, we're looking at whether it's pine forest or it's hardwood forest. Either way, we're looking at tall trees. Um, right. We're looking at that sort of backdrop. And we're also looking at elevation changes with, with either steep ravines and ridges or even just rolling hills and hollows. And then when you look at Texas, now I know you said hill country, but generally speaking in Texas, you know, the average person when you stand, and I've turkey hunted in Texas a good bit, so Mm -hmm. when you stand in Texas, I mean, you're, you're pretty much on average with the, with, with the height of the brush. I mean, there's some, you know, maybe 20, 30 foot live oak moths and stuff like that, but generally you don't have that same look, so... I would imagine, um, in in your experience with with setting up ground blinds and all that kind of stuff, it seems to me like it's it's obviously um, something that you have to do given the availability of places where you can hang deer stands. But aside from that, right. just the landscape is a lot more advantageous to ground blinds because it's a brushier, chunkier, if that's the right word, that's the best thing I can think of. It's chunkier t- when you look out across the horizon. That's what you see are these mots of oak trees and mesquite and brush and stuff like that. When you look out through the woods in Louisiana, even the, even the, uh, even the thicker woods, 
it's right. dominated by by vertical vertical landscape whether it be hills or tree trunks right yes sir yep it, it's it's definitely a lot different um thought you know drastically different um terrain and and the setting up is is quite a bit different also um when, like you said when i'm here you know and i've, I've switched a lot even louisiana and, and mississippi i hunt mississippi some and you know all out in missouri and kentucky and everything else um I've I've shifted to those ground blind sets just just because we've we've figured out ways to to make it work. Um, you know, just like I said, just finding the the right the right area, the right you know whether you know even here at home, you know you can go out there. I love setting up in a pine forest. You know, we talking about pine forest. Pine for me, that's one of the easiest areas because just like y'all know, you get in a thick pine forest or something that's it just has that 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 thick, gloomy, just just dark feel about it, and I just have I have really good success with tucking them away and and getting them hidden. But going back to what we talked about earlier, it's not a setup for the lazy guy. It's just that's just what it is. It's not you're not gonna do it and do it right in five or ten minutes. You can make it. You can adapt it anywhere, anywhere, any state. But it's not. You have to put the work in. You have to. You have to take the time and see it and visualize it and sit. You know, like I said, sit back, look at it for a minute. If you do, if you have any hesitation that it's not going to work, then you just have to maybe move over ten yards, whatever it may be. But you just have to. You have to find the right, the right area, the right, you know, the right surroundings and 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 get it right and and don't don't leave with just it being okay. Get it get it done and get it done correct. Well, one of, one of the biggest advantages that I see of it, is, I see um, with them, is kind of the the staying dry and wet weather aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you know, uh, I I see I, when I see people hunt, especially during the rut or during December when it's cold, wet, rainy, hell, even sometimes some you're snowing or, right. or sleeting or something that's just you know rough weather i see people hunting in box stands with a buddy heater and i i i mean (laughs) i'm thinking to myself i'm like well that that would be nice today and today only but if i'm not never gonna rifle hunt that i i wouldn't uh i wouldn't hunt in that anyway you know um but a ground blind kind of said i think that would be a really good late season especially if it was freezing cold i'm kind of i don't know maybe because i'm getting prepped up to go to illinois it's gonna be cold next right. week and and uh like colder than here and i'm kind of thinking ahead of time like freezing my ass off in a deer stand exposed yeah. but um having that concealment and that weatherproof uh you know cover has got to be nice i'd imagine Man, yeah it's that's one of the biggest one of the biggest advantages absolutely um you know that's it's not fun to go sit in the tree and get soaking wet when it's 30 degrees. I mean, we've been there, we've all done it. It's just, it plain and simple, it just stinks. But that ground blind does take that out of the equation. You can get in there, you can get in those same areas. You can be aggressive, but like you said, you just have to do it right. But when you get in there, like you said, and it's perfect and the weather's ideal and this and that, yeah, you can do it for that day, but 
I want to get in that. I want to get in that. When I want to go in there and and it's raining, and I know that it's been raining for eight or nine, ten hours straight. We all know what happens when that ends. The deer are getting up on their feet. They're mm-hmm. going to find something to eat. I can be in my ground blind waiting. I don't have to wait for it to quit, then get sure. there, disturb the woods, and jump in my tree. I can be there. I can be waiting. I can. I can slip in there while it's raining with a with a rain suit get in my blind and i'm dry i'm warm and i can sit there comfortably all day um you know that is one of the biggest perks to hunt out of a ground blind is weather unless it's hurricane tornado type stuff it's really not a factor mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point yep. yeah pretty cool expand your it expands your hunting days i guess it you know? definitely does more time in the woods more deer on the ground and a ground blind definitely can help you get in there with the conditions not in your favor so i have a question that i've been thinking ever since we planned this out and this i guess this is kind of one of my final questions as we run up on time a little bit but so how many times have you gone to your ground blind and there been something in there that wasn't supposed to be there (laughs) and what i mean by that is like you know varmint snake Uh, that kind of thing it does happen i'm gonna tell you um my wife is not a big fan of ground blinds anymore. We run into rats. We run into mice. Um, I've never personally had an encounter with a snake. Uh, my dad has. Um, but there is one thing that I was going to get to. If y'all asked me that question, I was prepared. If typically any ground blind that you buy has the flaps, if you know what I'm talking about, on the mm-hmm. bottom. Yep, like a skirting. Most, that's exactly right most guys kick those flaps out what i've learned to do since i'm going to be raking my ground anyway what i like to do is i like to take those flaps or that skirting as you called it i put them on the inside with me when i'm raking my ground all the stuff that i'm raking up out of my way i'm burying those flaps i'm covering those flaps and what i like to do is is i take some of that soil even after i'm done you know grooming the ground and I bury those flaps, and what that—that's helping with two things: keeping stuff out that's not supposed to be in there. I mean, I've even gone to the point of finding heavier, you know, sticks, logs, rocks, depending on where I'm at, and I make sure that those flaps are in there with me. They're held down, they're covered. Another thing that does that keeps scent from going out the bottom of your blind. If you think about it, if that flap is on the outside and there's a crack, that if you can see daylight at the bottom then since leaving obviously but i i've learned to take those that skirting and put it in there with me and cover it as good as i can and even bury it if you will and it's helped keep stuff out of the blind that's not supposed to be in the blind and also it it really just completely traps your scent in that blind with you it's a good point that's interesting i've never thought i mean i know exactly what you're talking about on the the, uh, those flaps and 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 i am that guy like i like i said before i don't use ground blinds often, but um, the few that I have and that we've set up, I'm I'm that guy. I just kind of kind of kick them out, whatever. Just you know, they're just kind of there. It's like eh, I don't need this. Well, most people don't even recognize them. I mean, I I mean, for me, uh, even me, for the first, you know, for years, I, I pop up my blind, I do my thing, I brush it, and then finally one day it just dawned on me. I'm like, man, this thing has skirting at the bottom. It's five six inches. Why am not? Why am I not putting it on the inside and taking this excess dirt and this debris and covering this? I'm I'm eliminating cracks 
and holes yeah. for scent for scent, you know, escape. And plus, I've I've seen a lot less rats and mice <laughs> get in there with me in the morning. Well, I can tell you, I've I, I have a I have an unhealthy fear of snakes, and I, I I've not had it happen to me. Praise the Lord that it's not happened to me. But I can tell you that I have sat in a ground blind, especially in Louisiana. I used to hunt a, a property down close to the river, and you know we had a couple of ground blinds and they were all up in those buttonwood thickets and stuff and, and brushed in and i'm thinking if a water moxing crawls up in here with me i'm going to have a heart attack before it has a chance to bite me so it is something have, i'm nervous you can about. have it i'm gone I'm, I'm nervous about it for sure yeah uh, i've had i've not had that experience um i've heard a couple tales um but i mean i check it good but i, I really if, if if some people if, if guys will take the time to to utilize that skirting and get it get it get it buried get it held down with something heavier it'll eliminate a lot of that a lot of environments getting in there with you for sure yeah. so we've all seen the pictures of people hunting in a ground blind and and having deer turkeys and whatever you know basically stick their head in the blind with you and look i mean how many has that happened to you yes sir it has i've um i've had it happen one time I was hunting in Missouri, and what we were doing was, is we was brushing these ground blinds into this into the cornfields and uh, on the edges. And up there, it's 100 percent. You can't throw you can't throw corn on the ground, but it's 100 percent legal to chip corn. You can take you can take the bat wing. You can run a couple rows, whatever. Blah blah blah. And I got my ground blind tucked in the cornfield, and I used obviously corn stalks brushed it all in couldn't see it had a shooting hole usually eight inches wide you know eight inches tall just a few inches just enough to shoot out of because i know generally where i'm gonna shoot when i'm hunting that area and sure enough had a a, a cob hanging in my window and a little spike coming there and he stuck his head in there and ate off of that cob while I was sitting in the blind <laughs> inches from him it's crazy it was neat yeah well i uh i, I guess i don't understand the the fear of snakes, lock. I, I've I've run across a couple hundred of them in in my life, and I have yet to find one that tries to do anything to me. Usually, try to get away from me. Yeah, when I know it, and I, it 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 has nothing to do with a lack of experience because I have, you know, been blessed enough to live a lifestyle of outdoorsmanship, and I have encountered, and still too to this day encounter them regularly and it never seems to fade it never seems to get any better <laughs> uh, it's just one of those things i don't know but uh I'm, you know i'm I, i've often said and 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 in multiple scenarios i've never had a, a snake strike at me and i'm really honestly not afraid of a poisonous snake bite because i often say that that really won't matter because if i ever have to experience watching a snake strike at me i'm going to have a heart attack and die <laughs> whether it bites me or not <laughs> i actually was turkey hunting in arkansas one time the scaredest i've ever been i was turkey hunting in arkansas and it was a turkey goblin on the other side of this it was uh it had rained a whole bunch and this creek had kind of flooded an area and we had to cross with knee boots about a hundred yard stretch of just kind of flooded junk to get over this high ridge and this turkey over there gobbling we're trying to slip through this water real quiet and it's springtime and the guy's walking in front of me about four or five steps in front of me and i watched a water moccasin strike the back of his boot 
Oh. Mm. And to put it lightly, that turkey hunt was over. Because <laughs> I yeah. was water skiing my way back to high ground <laughs> and then back to the truck. That was was terrifying. So that's, that's not good. So well, yeah. well, man, I, it's, I, I honestly, I, I never knew I had this many questions about ground blinds. So I definitely know that I, I, uh, I um, definitely got more answers than I ever expected to. I, I honestly, I want to try it now. Um, and it sounds Give like it a try, man. Like I said, a lot of guys, you know, I grew up hunting stands. I grew up in the climber, old man climber. Me and my pops, we was climbing. We was, you know, lock on, and that become cool thing. And I did it, man. And it's it's great. It's beautiful. I still love sitting in a tree. Do not get me wrong. I still hunt out trees here and there, but I really had a lot of success out of a ground blind, man. Killing really, you know, real good mature deer, and, and you know, them old does. It's just I feel like you really can get away with, you know, obviously more as far as movement, but I really can, I mean, you can cover some scent up. Like I said, you, you rake that ground, you brush that thing in, you just, just give it a try. You can really, really cover that, that mass, that scent. Unbelievable. All right, guys, we've made it to November and we have not been giving the weekly updates of the Louisiana bow league like we did last year so we're going to start off right now we're in week four of the louisiana bow league and if you're not familiar with the louisiana bow league it is a competition a team bow hunting competition in the state and uh, teams garner points based off of antler score um, doe harvest hogs coyotes all those things it's a fun um, thing that is great for our hunting community and um, we definitely here at louisiana bow hunter we support the louisiana bow league we think it's a great thing and we're going to be giving you updates throughout the season so we're going to start it off this season we're in week four as i mentioned and the top five teams um in fifth place overweight with 120 points in fourth place tuscan tines with 142 points in third place prestige worldwide at 186 and seven eighths points and in second place Bellevue meet at 208 points and 208 and 38 points and in first place right now stack and racks at 223 points 223 and 7 eighths so uh, there's 35 teams and uh, they keep an updated tally weekly and um, looks like there's a uh, some interesting scores here staying in the triple digits all the way down through seventh place right now so I encourage you to go out to facebook and look up the louisiana bow league follow along lots of great stuff out there and a great thing for our hunting community again and for the louisiana bow hunter community as well glad to uh, support these guys and uh, encourage you again go out to facebook and look up the louisiana bow league and tune in to the louisiana bow hunter podcast each week we'll be updating the standings as we move throughout the season and they crown a champion um, in their second year here with the Louisiana Bow League. Well, I can yeah. tell you, Kyler, from my limited experience, and I'm sure Seth will probably agree with me, it is a really cool to experience deer up close at ground level like that. There, yeah, you just feel self-conscious the whole time. Like you get, I would, I think I would just, I'm so, I'm so confident in my stealthiness in a tree um, I, I feel like I would be super self-conscious or self-aware. Yeah, I, th- I think what it is, what it is about that, and and I've thought about this before. It's interesting that you mention it, and 
in in my in my mind, at least the way I would explain it, I think sometimes, and it gets us in trouble, but I think sometimes, from a deer stand, we we have this subconscious feeling like we're an onlooker. We're looking down at a whole nother warrior almost, yeah. And 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 it gives you a sense of confidence, and it gives you a sense of 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 uh, security in, in in a way that. I'm I'm up here. I'm elevated. I'm away, and I'm on looking, you know. And when you and it's and you're right. When you're in a ground blind, you don't have that. It's like you're in their world, you know. I mean, right. You recognize that you have this cover around you that's designed to to make you uh, to be hidden and and to be kind of out of their world. But you don't feel that way. You feel like right. you're right in there with them. It's the same kind of feeling that I, I would explain to someone who's never turkey hunted. You know, the difference, a turkey obviously is just a bird. You know, there's not as much of a trophy status to a a big gobbler as there is to a big buck. You know, there's a visual Mm -hmm. stimulus there with big antlers and all that. With a turkey, a gobbling turkey, a a, a young gobbling turkey is just as impressive and magnificent as an old gobbling turkey. They kind of look the same, you know. Right. But the difference, what's so exciting about turkey hunting is, you know, if you turkey hunt the way most people do in the south where you're, you know, you're sitting on the ground eye level 10 to 20 yards from a turkey, and he doesn't know you're there, and he's doing his thing. It's it's a whole nother experience with that animal that you're pursuing. And I can say that when you get a chance to try it, Kyler, there is that, that you, you're missing that part of it if you've never done it out of a ground blind. Because mm. when a, especially a, a, a an old doe that's real smart, that, you know, that, that, that doe that puts you on pins and needles that, it's that it's that doe, and I'm sure everybody has had this experience. I have it all the time because I don't shoot very many does. I want to see the doe because I want to feel like the deer are up and moving, but I just assume she just walk through and leave because I don't want her hanging out because she makes me nervous because she's constantly, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like I wish yeah. I'm glad the deer are up and moving, but I just assume she go ahead and leave before she figures out I'm here and blows my hunt right. And it's no kind doubt. of that. It's that same thing. When you see those deer, it's it's a constant adrenaline rush because you're right there with them, and that is really cool. I can I can personally attest to how cool that is with the ground blind yeah. hunting. It's, it's neat, man. And, and what's crazy to me is, is you know, I've done so much of the blind hunting. What you said, what you were saying about the the confidence in the tree, and and you know, that's how I feel in the blind now because yeah. you know I've I've been picked off way way more times in a tree and i mean i'm not up there doing jumping jacks or nothing just be up there and something don't look right or maybe i maybe i cut a limb you know in the wrong area but when i'm in the ground blind i have a confidence in you know i have a confidence in my set number one and and how i got it but number two is is when i'm in that chair and i'm tucked back and i'm in my that dark clothing and i and i feel like everything's the way it needs to be i i really feel like there's no way they can. There's no way they got. They can't get me. That that that's the confidence I get in in a ground blind when I feel like I have it right. Is is the confidence that you have in your tree when you're up there, you know, twenty, thirty foot in the air, and and you're you believe in your set, and that's that's what I get out of a ground blind. I just feel so hidden and I feel so concealed, and it's something I, I really encourage people to try, man. It it it, it can be a very 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 successful tool for sure that's 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 so cool man i uh I, i'll definitely have to i want to try it out i'm gonna i'm gonna try it out 
And I don't I don't say things out loud that I don't intend to do, so I'll have to do it this year for sure. It's maybe not a ground blind, but but definitely a hunting from the ground. Whether or not I actually go out and buy a ground blind, I'm pretty cheap, so I probably won't right. do that for public <laughs> public land. Um, but uh, well, okay, I want to change the subject real quick because talking about turkeys, uh, I, I never I've never had a reason to ask you about turkeys lock ever on the podcast or okay. in person. I really you know particularly it's not I just don't do it. Um, but I'm going to Illinois in two days, Friday. Right. Uh, um, today's Wednesday. We're recording. So November sixth. I'm gonna be in Illinois, November sixth through the thirteenth, possibly through the fifteenth. That was a fun conversation to have with my wife today. To tell her, yeah, I'm coming back on the thirteenth, but I might come back two days later. I'll let you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, they have a fall turkey season, and a turkey tag seventy five dollars. And um, when I went up, I drove up for two days. I scouted some public land, I hung six cameras, three cell cams, three, uh, you know, dispensable, disposable $28 Tascos. And um, I'm getting turkeys by the dozens, literally, like 15 at a time. Um, They've, you know, you'll have 12 hens, two gobblers in tow behind them. I I ran into a, I don't know, what do you call a, what do you call a dozen turkeys of? A flock. A flock? Okay, yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't know. Um, and so, legitimately, <laughs> what are the chances of me being able to draw down and shoot a turkey out of a tree? Very good. In the, it, okay, so, in the Midwest, honestly, you're going... So, let me preface this by saying I'm not adamant about it, but... If I had to decide, I don't agree with fall turkey hunting because from a conservation standpoint, I wish people would leave them alone or at least shooting gobblers in the in the fall, uh, tom turkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, we have enough problems with turkey numbers without them being killed in that. And, and so I'll parlay that into this. You can't be stupid. I mean, you can't just be stupid up there in the stand, but a turkey in the fall in a group, a flock, as you put it, is not the same as a turkey in the spring that you're calling to, that you're staring mm-hmm. down the barrel of a shotgun or you're trying to, you know, get in a position to draw and shoot with a bow. That turkey in the spring is an active participant in the hunt. You know, he's looking for you. He's communicating with you. The hens are doing the same thing, and there's a, a whole different dynamic. When you're sitting up in a tree, they're they're very different so your opportunity to 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 take a turkey with your bow is good if you don't just just stand up and make yourself plainly visible you won't have any problem getting drawn back and shooting a turkey because they for lack of a better way to put it they they just they're just kind of oblivious i mean they are still a prey animal that has to you know to, to protect themselves so yes if they see you moving around they're gonna they're going to try to get away from you, of course, but they're not nearly the wary animal that can see almost, you know, eyes in the back of their head kind of animal that you hear about in the springtime where you just can't move a lick. It's not the same dynamic. So I think that 
if you're getting pictures of that many turkeys in the area you're going to hunt, you're probably at some point in the morning, those birds are going to fly down, they're going to flock up, and they're going to start like a little group of soldiers moving yep. through that timber, just picking every bug and seed they can find. And they're going to be so wrapped up and scratching in the leaves that you're going to be able to just kind of take your time and not make any rash movements, you know, brash, you know, stand out type things, and you'll be able to get drawn back and shoot one without any problem. I got you. I was just curious. Because I, uh, you know, it, it, I, I don't think a deer is very hard to, you know, draw down on or get away with moving. Obviously, it depends on cover and how high you are in a tree and all that stuff. But, um, you know, there's there's two animals that, <laughs> there's only two animals that, see, that seem to pick me off no matter what. And, and I haven't had an experience with a turkey, so maybe three. First one's raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, raccoon, I feel like, can pick me off, you know, relatively close. Now, the reason why is because raccoon sometimes is trying to climb the tree that I'm in. So um, he's obviously not very happy that somebody's already in it. But I don't know if y'all have had the opportunity to hunt near water and have come across a pod. I'm going to call them pod. Another group of animals. I don't know what it's called when they're plural. Um, is otters. You ever You ever had yeah. an otter? swim under you yeah one million percent chance they will see you and look right through your soul (laughs) one million percent yeah those are the smartest animals in the woods i can tell you that like to your your point about the turkeys i've i've never shot one just like i said that's that's not something i'm gonna do but i've messed with them kind of called to them with my mouth and i've stood up and drawn back and aimed at them and stuff like that and on more than one occasion now granted we all know that the powers that be make things different. Like when you're hunting something, for some reason, they just know it, right? So I'm not going to take that into consideration. Um, I, I guess what I'm saying is maybe these turkeys knew I wasn't going to shoot at them. But mm-hmm. I have on more than one occasion stood up and picked my bow up or picked my binoculars up with a turkey at 20 yards, and it just looks at me. Like, what is that mm-hmm. up in that tree moving around? And mm-hmm. I draw my bow back and aim at it and kind of – you know, make little noises at it. And it just stands there and looks at me like, huh, wonder what that is. And then goes back to feeding. I've done the same thing, man. It's crazy. In the fall, you can literally get up there and you can't run them off. Yeah, I had (laughs) last, two years ago, I was hunting in a big block of hardwoods. Uh, I mean, some of the biggest, tallest hardwood timber you'll find in the Midwest. And I was in Northwest Missouri. And it was an hour or so before dark. And I had 12... 12 big long beard gobblers in one bunch they came up through this timber that we were in and they're scratching around and whatever and the cameraman's in the tree with me and and we're we're kind of you know making little turkey noises at them and messing with them and they got all you know they doing their thing well after a while we started like standing up and trying to get camera angles with them and we were doing stupid stuff in the tree and they finally saw us you know and they're like 10 yards from us and they're all like looking at us and they're run they run away like 20 yards and they feed back up towards us they look up at us when it got dark they literally flew up in the trees all around us i mean like within 15 and they all knew we were there they've been looking at us all evening they flew up in the trees all around us and they're just sitting on a limb at eye level 15 yards from me just looking at me you know and it's like man that is a totally different animal that 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 than what I, I hunt in the springtime so it is uh you ask that it's it's interesting 
that uh, you're going to experience a lot of that, I would imagine, because turkeys don't move yeah. a lot in the winter, and if you're getting a lot of pictures of them, you're probably going to – they're going to be all over. You're going to get to the point where you want to shoot one because they're going to drive you crazy. <laughs> well, Seth, when, when are you headed back? When, where, where are you going on your next hunt? Man, to be honest with you, I'm leaving in the morning uh, to Oklahoma, 3 a.m. I'm headed out. Um, weather is completely against me. It's going to be hot, but mm-hmm. we're going to go give them a shot, man, with with the way things are at work right now. i gotta got to get after them when I can, so I'm heading out in the morning, man, and go to Oklahoma and try to get it done. Nice. Well, good luck, Very man. Nice. Good luck. Me and yeah, Kyler are both leaving. Are you leaving this weekend, Kyler? I leave. Um, I leave uh, Friday. Friday morning. Yeah. Um, I leave Friday morning. I'm leaving Saturday morning. So yeah, I, have I have I told you? Have I have I uh, have I did I send you the video of um, my red nakedness uh, caravan yesterday? No. Okay. So I uh, back in January. I. Uh, I, tr- I traded a deer rifle, my only deer rifle. I don't know why I had a deer rifle. I had it for like six years. I never even shot the damn thing. And um, I traded it for a pop-up camper, 2005 pop-up camper with a, um, a toy hauler, like cargo section on the front. And so like imagine a regular pop-up camper, but you got a place where you could put a four-wheeler on the front of it. Pretty badass. And so I came out way ahead of this deal because this pop-up camper resells for like five or six grand. And this rifle, you could buy all the components of it, turnkey at a store today for like 1200 bucks. All right. And I, rent- I I fixed it up in the springtime and the early summertime and camped in it a couple times this summer with my family and my in-laws. And I've been, I bought it or I traded it and fixed it up for out-of-state stuff like this um i don't want to do like an airbnb i don't want to stay i don't like to do the, the primitive camping stuff um because i want to you know be able to have like a hot shower and and um electricity and stuff and so um where we decided to hunt in illinois uh we're bringing my boat and the people i'm hunting with don't live anywhere around me so like i had to figure out how i'm going to tow this camper in my boat at the same time and um and so i just had a rear um trailer hitch custom welded to the back of this pop-up camper which is already on like a really heavy duty frame and i wired up the trailer lights i got a new connector for the back of my truck where i can plug in a seven pin and a four pin plug for the boat and a seven pin for the camper and all that stuff so i i have uh (laughs) Uh, as I say, like follow me if you want to learn how to get extra extra neutrals out of your transmission. Because I'm now going to be towing for hours and hours, uh, about seven and a half miles a gallon. This pop-up camper on this 17, seven, almost 18 yeah. foot boat and together you, at a you time. Know, when you get there, there's going to be some old farmer somewhere in Illinois just going to watch you drive by, and he's going to shake his head and finish his cup of coffee and be like. Yeah, it's definitely deer season. Here they come. Louisiana, yeah, Louisiana's here. <laughs> Great, they're showing up, man. The white booters. So um, now, I, look, this is, this needs to be said about Illinois, and I don't know if this is all across the Midwest because I'm not in all these groups on Facebook. You can tell me this, but I have never in my life seen as many stupid comments about deer hunting as i do in these illinois deer hunting groups i mean 
I see a lot of ignorant things in Louisiana and Mississippi and Arkansas, you know, deer hunter groups or whatever. A lot of it, a lot of it's, you know, facetiousness or people just riling other people up or whatever. But I'm talking like every day, hours and hours, like hour after hour, you'll have somebody saying, hey, is 930 to dark a good time to hunt? If I set up a, a stand today, can I hunt it tomorrow? Um, you know, does the wind matter? And just... I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, this is a destination state for p- me and people that I know because y'all have a deer population and a quality of deer that is, you know, kind of unrivaled in the world in the Midwest in general. And y'all don't even know how to kill them. You know, that's like, yeah. a, that's, like a, that's like that's like going from Illinois to come down and run crab traps in, in, in uh, Grand Chenier and nobody around that area knows how to catch crabs. Yeah, my theory on that, without getting long-winded about it, is it plays very much hand-in-hand with the reason why it's a destination place. I mean, there's there's multiple reasons, and uh, geography and availability of cover and food and rural area and all that has to do with it. But, But when it comes to a lot of these Midwest states, they don't have a deer hunting culture that we have in the South. They don't have legal seasons that offer that so Hmm. they don't grow up learning about deer hunting four to five months out of the year they don't get to hunt you know from october 1 until february 1 and multiple different times of the year where they have to learn lots of different things about okay if i'm hunting this time of the year i need to hunt this way if i'm hunting this time of the year i need to hunt that way they have very short seasons they get one deer tag and deer hunting is basically it's 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 shrunk down to this kind of thing like the state fair okay that's my explanation the state fair is something that comes around once a year it's here for a week and if you're a state fair goer you pack your family up you buy the pass where you can go for a couple days and you enjoy it and then you forget about it it's a big thing you look forward to it you love it you love everything about it but you only do it once or twice and then it's gone, and it doesn't come back until next year. That's how deer hunting is in most of these places because they get one tag. They can go sit in a cut cornfield for a week, and they're eventually going to kill their deer. They're going to get their deer meat for the, the year, and they're going to you know, move on to other things. It's just not a cultural thing. These people, I mean, they're literally, in every definition of the word, ignorant in terms of deer hunting the way we are it's in the south you don't even have to be a big deer hunter i mean you know i I don't know about you guys but i grew up in an area of southwest mississippi where almost everybody deer hunted and the people that didn't still knew about it because they just grew up around it you know and it's just not like that up there um and and i that and that's part of the reason why the hunting is so good because they don't kill all their deer they don't pressure the hell out of their deer for half of the year um, they don't have an army of people in the woods from the middle of August until deer season disturbing the habitat, changing the habitat, doing everything that we do on large swaths of private land that have, you know, 5, 10, 15 people accessing it for five to six months out of the year. And they have the legal right to kill five or six deer apiece. And they bring their family and their friends. And that's great. I'm not demeaning that. It's awesome that we live in an area of our country where we're able to take part in that and it's an awesome part of our southern culture but they just don't have it up there so they don't you know deer hunting is like well well you know the fine finer parts and even the non-finer parts 
they're alien to them because, like I said, it's the state fair to them. Okay, well, hey, it's a, you know, next week is the week we can actually shoot a deer legally, so uh, uh, what do I need to do? I just need to go out there and sit for a little <laughs> while or what? Like, yeah. I just want to get my deer, you know? I, I guess they're not, comparing they're not mad at them. They're not mad at them like they were down here. Mm-mm. Yeah. That's interesting. It's just, it's just such an interesting comparison of cultures and um you know you would you would imagine or maybe i i imagine if there was that quality of deer um down here number one i guess i understand your point of why there's not that quality of deer down here um, but if we had that i would imagine people would be better at it than i'm i'm uh, imagining and this is obviously i'm t- i'm taking in things i see on the internet but i also i met a lot of people in illinois last year and um and a lot of them were farmers and a lot of them were landowners and it's amazing to me that people that get into their 40s 50s 60s and even their 70s and they they are still winging it like there's no strategy yeah. there's no there like there's no consideration for all the things we talked about on the podcast it, nothing wind stand location camouflage uh, nothing um and uh it's just i don't know maybe they, I have they just have understanding it they have so many deer and they have such a short season they don't have the they don't have the the uh the reason or what uh, the word I'm looking for is escaping me here, but they don't they they don't have the the reasons to invest in it the way we do because sure why like why would you I'll give you a perfect example this is the best example of the of the mentality I, I was having a conversation with someone in the Midwest who loves to deer hunt kills a deer um on private land farmer uh, every year fills their tag. But, you know, they got one or two stands on, on the place that they hunt all the time, and they always kill a deer on it, and, you know, there's lots of deer there, whatever. Having a conversation with this person years ago, and while I'm up there hunting, and, and the conversation goes to, we're talking about my side-by-side. I had just bought a new UTV side-by-side. And the conversation goes to the place of the guy says, well, you're not a farmer, are you? I'm like, no. I'm like, he's like, well, do you have like property? I'm like, no. I mean, I, I got, you know, I've got five acres at my house there, but uh, no. He's like, well, why would you buy a side by side? Like, if you're not a farmer, like, what? What do you need one of the? Why would you spend ten thousand dollars? I'm like, dude, I use that thing as much as any any recreational expenditure I have. It gets put to use as much as anything else I own, and in in but so in in his mind, why in the heck? Would anybody spend ten thousand dollars on a side by side just to use it to go and deer hunt? And because they have no concept of the amount of work and time that I spend on that side by side, you know, managing property and moving stands and going on hunts and, and you know, I use the crap out of that thing. So it's just an idea that, you know, to your point, Kyler, the investment in the different tools and, and things and some sometimes it's just the stuff that we want because we love it so much the gear you know the gear junkie side of things they just don't they don't have any um reason to to go that route because to them they can walk out behind the you know back cornfield and sit in that old ladder stand and if they do that for two or three days they're going to get a shot at a probably a decent buck and that's going to be their deer for the year and then they're going to put their stuff up and move on to something else until that week of rifle season comes back around and that's just the prevailing culture Hmm. Yep. Different, very different, man. Yep. Very different. Well, that's why they have so many deer because they don't shoot them all. 
Look, let's wrap it up, guys. Seth, I appreciate you joining us tonight. Really insightful. ton of good information. Um, uh, I, 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 I really love the part about like the floor on the ground in your blind and how you tear it up and he use that as a, almost a cover scent, but also, um, yeah, man, I, I thank that. y'all for having me. Um, you know, like I said, it's just, it's not for everybody, but there are some advantages and some disadvantages, but it's, it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat to get out there and try it in a blind, man. It's interesting. Very cool. Well, uh, Locke, you got anything else, man? Before no, we man. Up? Great conversation. I'm, I'm very, uh, very insightful some of the the thought that you've put into the way you do it and how you've utilized it and made it you know not just a not just a best case scenario for hunting area but an actual tactic and technique that you use to be successful that's really cool well i appreciate y'all having me guys and uh good luck on y'all's trips and yep. uh, i hope y'all hope y'all stick a good one you too be you safe too. i'm traveling you too buddy all right we'll talk all to you soon good. man all right all right and y'all have a good Bye. one Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.